everybody, and welcome back to Southbridge Weekly. Uh, this is week number five of our um, series that is called Bite Size Beliefs. So um, if you're not familiar with that, go back, listen to the first four, um, just to give you an idea of what we're doing. We're, we have basically taken a bunch of uh, theological ideas and we're trying to condense them down into as short of a podcast as we can. Uh, <laughs> sometimes it's under 10 minutes and sometimes it is not, but Correction, Brandon. There, it is never under ten minutes. That's, but that, thank you for being gracious. Yes, that's correct. So I'm I'm Brandon, joined by the man you just heard, which is our pastor Todd Wiggins. Um, I just want to give us a short review from last week. Um, last week we talked about um, two types of attributes of God. There's incommunicable, which are character qualities that God is um, in which God is unique and distinct from His creation. And there were a bunch of different examples of that. A couple of them were independence, um, omnisciency, omnipotency, and his omnipresentness, um, which maybe is a word. I don't know if omnipresentness is a word or not. But uh, then there are communicable attributes, um, which is things that that are um, qualities about God, which is also can be present within his creation, um, which things like wisdom, freedom, and love. Um, and so we're made in the image of God to reflect him and his attributes. That's what we talked about. Um, and even though that is the case, we'll never be able to fully be able to do it, but that, um, that there are glimpses of God's character that can be found in us. They'll do a good job. That's right. Okay. That is a good summation. There's incommunicable attributes where God is not like us and communicable attributes where we are displaying God, uh, in the midst of creation. Uh, but, but that's what we want to know. We want to know this triune God better and we want to come to know him and to worship him and and to understand. And that's today we're going to talk some more about who God is and and what he is like, especially the fact that he is one God in three persons. Yeah. So that's, we're doing a big one today. Um, we are talking all about the Trinity. So get your notepads ready. Because this is going to be intense. So <laughs> let's go It's going to be something. I'm not sure what the word is, but intense Todd, could be what. Todd's comment before we started, everyone was, let's just hope that I don't dip into heresy. So exactly. prepare yourself. Um, <laughs> let's just start with the actual word Trinity. What does it mean and why do we use that to describe God? So when we are talking about the doctrine of God, we need to humbly start uh, from a place where we confess that there are some things about God which we will never be able to fully and finally explain or know. And and so uh, when we talk about this, uh, God's triune nature is definitely one of the doctrines of God uh, that is ultimately a mystery that must be received by faith. We're never going to fully exhaust and come to a complete explanation that is satisfactory but that doesn't mean we shouldn't try we shouldn't try to know and understand the trinity as much as possible and and so while the word trinity is not actually found in scripture what we do find uh, through the progressive revelation of the scriptures is that one eternal god exists as three persons Mm -hmm. so the doctrine of the trinity this is sort of a, a a I guess, a definition that I've developed through the years. But the doctrine of the Trinity is the biblical belief on the testimony of the Scriptures that there is one true and living God, indivisible and infinite in essence, that exists co-eternally and co-equally in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So they Mm -hmm. share and are equal in essence and nature, 
and yet they are different and distinct in role and relationship. And so there is unity and distinction, uh, both side by side. So often we use words or phrases that are not explicitly uh, used in the Bible. Many people will throw that up. Well, we don't find the word Trinity, so it must not be biblical. It's not really biblical. But we often use words or phrases unique to us that aren't found in the Bible to convey faithfully the concepts or ideas that we do find in the Bible. And and so the early church father, Tertullian, uh, he is credited with developing the word Trinity. Uh, You would find that in the Latin Trinitas uh, to describe God. And so if we rightly understand Trinity, uh, it's actually quite helpful for explaining who the Christian God is. Although we don't get the designations Father, Son, and Holy Spirit until the New Testament, there are plenty of passages in the Old Testament as well as the New that suggest or imply that God exists as one God in three persons. So, okay, cool. So let's dive into where we find those things. So take us through, I guess, starting in the Old Testament and moving forward. Where do we find that that stuff? So we would certainly say that a God who reveals himself as one God is found in the Old Testament. Uh, When we talk about one in essence, in Genesis chapter 1, we see the distinction made between God and his spirit. Uh, Mm -hmm. In the beginning was God, and God created the heavens and the earth. And yet right there in that same passage, the spirit of God was hovering over the depths. Mm -hmm. In John chapter 1, uh, Jesus is given the place of actually speaking as the Word of God, who is God, speaks all of creation into existence. And so we see God refer to himself in the plural in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when he says, let us make man in our image. The only other uh, creature that might have been ex- in existence at that point were angels. And we know we were not made in the image or likeness of angels. God is making us in his image, and yet he speaks in the third person. Mm. Uh, just a few books later, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, we see uh, the Shema, where God speaks to his people, and he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Mm. So the Lord is is our God, plural, the Lord is one, Mm. singular. And and so not only is that in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul reiterates this idea in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 4. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. Mm. Also, Another passage that I would appeal to is out of Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8, where uh, God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to idols. So there is one true and living God. He alone is to be worshiped and glorified, and there is no God besides Yahweh. Hmm. He is infinite, and he is sufficient. He is infinite, and in that there is no other God. He hmm. is sufficient and that there needs not be any other God. Mm. Wow. So then, okay, so that's establishing that God is one, so right. the idea of there being one God, but now let's talk about why, how, where we find three individual persons within that one God. 
So once again, in Genesis 1.26, that, that passage, let us make man in our own image. Uh, here's the one God speaking in that plural form, as we mentioned earlier. In, in Genesis chapter 1, we also uh, saw that God was creating all of the universe, and at the same time, uh, his spirit, the spirit of God, was hovering or moving over the deep. We also see uh, the spirit referenced in many other passages throughout the Old Testament. Psalm 51, Psalm 139, Isaiah 63, Joel chapter 2, and, and Psalm chapter 2, and Psalm 22, and Psalm 27, we find God and God's Son, the Anointed One, and king referenced. We would also say in Isaiah, uh, we see a prophecy given that one will be born who will be uh, God. And we would also uh, appeal to Isaiah 53, where he is the suffering servant who is given uh, as a suitable sacrifice to redeem his people. So we see throughout the Old Testament, uh, even before Father, Son, and Spirit is designated uh, quite uh, distinctly as it is in New Testament. Uh, we already see the depictions of each one at mm. work even before the New Testament comes into play. Right. But in the New Testament, you know, we get a more consistent, a, a fuller revelation of the Trinity throughout the Gospels and Epistles as the one God in being and essence reveals himself as three persons, Mm -hmm. the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we would reference them, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Spirit. And Mark chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, we see when Jesus is being baptized, right? Uh, We see the Father speaking from above, the Son is being baptized, and the Spirit descends as a dove uh, to rest upon the Son. And, And so... In that picture, we certainly see a, a snapshot of the Trinity. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, when Jesus gives the Great Commission and he tells his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. And he says, and as you do that, when you're preaching the gospel to every man, woman, boy, and girl, wherever you find people who turn away from their sins, surrender their hearts to Jesus and embrace him by faith, then baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Holy Spirit. Spirit. And obviously he is equating there uh, the fact that each are equal members of the one God. We wouldn't baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit unless each one uh, was a part of God himself. Mm. So from the biblical evidence, we could certainly say three primary statements about the Trinity. God is three persons. Each person is fully God, and there is one God. Mm. Wow. So but then when you try to wrap your head around that, it's kind of hard, right? It's very hard. So, and a lot, no, no amount of ink could ever, uh, there, there's no limit to the amount of ink that has been spilled trying to express right. the faithful truths that we're talking about. Yeah. So let's just try as briefly as we can to discuss what it means that God exists in three persons. 
So the Father, Son, and Spirit are distinct persons. They each have uh, their own consciousness, and yet they are living in perfect relationship to one another on a personal level. Mm -hmm. So the Father refers to himself as I, and and he refers to the Son as you, right? Mm -hmm. So obviously different and distinct. He also refers to the Spirit as you. So person for us, uh, we tend to think of person as someone who is different or distinct. Uh, We use that uh, in everyday life to refer to independent individuals with separate wills or personalities. But when we're talking about the Trinity, person is not so much talking about uh, that different and distinct, uh, unique individuals. Person uh, simply means distinct subjects who have their own existence and consciousness apart from the other two. But no person of the Trinity can exist without the other two. So what we see is the Father is distinct from the Son and the Spirit. The Son is distinct from the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit is distinct from the Father and the Son. And it's easier to think about the Father and the Son as distinct persons because we understand the concepts of Father and Son and how those are distinct persons or things. It can be a little bit more difficult to think about the Spirit as a person instead of just the power or force of God. And yet it's vital to uphold that the Spirit is a distinct person of the triune God. Hmm. So what we would say is uh, that as Christians, we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. And, And so that's what we want to go to the heart of. See, because the Trinity can be uh, such a confusing concept, people often want to come up with analogies or explanations, right? right? You and I have probably heard no end to trying to explain or put into um, a a physical presentation the truth of the Trinity. And so many throughout history have tried to use these analogies to explain God's triune nature. But the reality is because God is outside of creation, nothing in creation could fully and finally explain God within creation. And and so uh, none of them adequately describe So you may have heard, well, God is like a man who is father, husband, and co-worker all at the same time. Yes, I've heard that one before. So when we think about that, he is one person, but he is relating in three different ways. And and so uh, he's relating in three different ways at three different times or three different roles. And this analogy is just flat out wrong because this man is just one person acting in these three different ways, right? Right, yeah. So this would have been the historical heresy of modalism, one person acting in different modes or roles at various times. Secondly, God is like the sun. And so some would say, well, he is star and he gives off light, he gives off heat. Uh, they are trying to show how God is one and three. Uh, but this this depiction is inadequate as well because 
light and heat are merely byproducts coming from the star, right? Yeah, they're created from the star. Yeah, they, they're just the same thing. They're, they're creations or byproducts from that star, and, and they are not truly the star itself. And so this analogy implies that Jesus and the Spirit are uh, merely creations of God and not actually God themselves. Right. So this would be what historically is called Arianism and also uh, would be considered a point of heresy. Uh, the, the third analogy that, that we might hear some people use, well, uh, God is like a three-leaf clover. Go out and pick a clover and look at it. But... The problem is the three parts of the clover all have to combine to form the whole thing. Hmm. And and so each leaf of a clover is only one-third of the whole, and yet in our discussion of the Trinity, what we are saying is that each and every member of the Trinity is fully God. Hmm. They are all fully God. The persons of the Trinity are not one-third of the Godhead. They are fully God, and yet they have different and distinct roles in, in what they do uh, in relationship to one another and all of creation. And so this heresy would be the heresy of partialism. The theologians in the early church spent a lot of time uh, combating heresy and working carefully to make sure uh, that they did not articulate uh, a doctrine that was contrary to what has been revealed in Scripture. In fact, there's a creed, the Athanasian Creed from 500 A.D., which uh, seeks to be a faithful summary of what we believe about a one God who exists eternally in three persons. And they simply say it like this, We worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity neither confounding the persons nor dividing the essence. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is all one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. And so we come back with that to the doctrine of the Trinity, which is really just this, as a biblical belief Uh, based on the testimony of Scripture, that there is one true and living God who is indivisible and infinite in essence, who exists co-eternally and co-equally in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Wow. Well, that's, um, I wouldn't say easy to understand, but it is understandable if that makes sense. I don't know if that makes any sense to anyone so. else. Um, but let's, let's also then go to um, some pictures maybe that we find in Scripture that help us understand the Trinity. So if we look, uh, I would say a few weeks ago, it was pretty enlightening as we studied through Ephesians chapter 1. So we looked at Ephesians chapter 1. The Father in love has devised a plan of salvation Mm. he predestined us to be adopted according to his will from even before the foundations of the earth the son acted in order to redeem and extend forgiveness Mm. by sacrificing himself on the cross 
for the penalty of our sins. The Holy Spirit raised him from the dead, and he has now applied that salvation to us so that we are regenerated and we become the sons and daughters of the Most High King. Mm. And and so that's a beautiful picture. We see in Titus chapter 3 a a picture of the Trinity at work in salvation of sinners. We see at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 13, verse 14, we, we see the Trinity at work uh, within the church. But but in all of this, what we see is that the Father loves sinners who have separated themselves from him, and he loves them so much that he has sent the Son. The Son, in love, has selflessly sacrificed us himself for our sins to pay our penalty, and the Holy Spirit has now uh, re- not only raised him back to life, but applied the salvation to us so that we could be regenerated so that we might become believers in him. And so one of the beautiful pictures of uh, the Trinity uh, and distinction and yet unity is what we talked about uh, just in the last couple of weeks on Sunday mornings. Ephesians chapter 2, though we are many different and distinct people, diverse in our backgrounds, we have been built in, brought in to be one family in God. Mm-hmm. And so the picture of God's kingdom being different and distinct people, diverse people from all kinds of different places and backgrounds being brought to be one in God's family is a beautiful picture uh, of how God, how uh, that relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is at work. Also, we see a picture in marriage itself where mm. two flesh are joined into one, right? Yeah. The two become one. Those who are different and distinct are now brought into one so that, so that they might be a display of what is ultimately just a reflection. It's not a full revelation uh, of God and the Trinity, but it is a reflection of one God who exists in three persons to, to live in relationship uh, and, and to show his redemption forth in the mm. midst of creation. Man. Well, like I said, well, I knew we were in for it when we saw the Trinity. Uh, it's it's a tough one to kind of wrap your head around because it's just not the way that our finite, we talked about that last week too, that God is infinite and we are finite. There's no way to wrap our mind around something that is infinite. Like, there is not. Like God. There is not. Thank you, Brandon, for helping me get through that. And and, uh, I want to challenge everybody who's listening. uh, If you think there's somewhere that I went astray, please, number one, uh, search out the Bible to see whether these things are true or not. Number two, if there's somewhere where you think, hey, you misspoke or maybe you misstated something, please let us know. Yeah. I'd be happy to, to know because if there's something that I've misstated or misquoted, I certainly want to correct that item. Absolutely. Well, guys, um, we're thankful for y'all. We hope, again, that this is helpful for you as you um, walk through your own faith journey, um, as you grow closer to God. I hope that you are um taking notes we hope that you are um, sharing this with those that you that you love that you're in community with Um, but we will see you guys back here next week 
Until then, grace and peace. Peace.